if you think of the church is like a ship on turbulent waters and there's other ships always trying to come after it and sink it and so you know persecution happens in the church it's happened in the church for many centuries and sometimes we worry about people that are enemies of the church from without but actually more dangerous is the enemies from within the church the enemies from within that has occurred in the church from the time of the apostles who was the first enemy was judas he was an enemy from within within the the circle itself and so the the church has had these were called heresies from within the church that the church had to respond to what, what are heresies heresies are kind of half truths or teachings that are not in accordance with the truth and a lot of times you have priests or bishops theologians teaching these they had followers and then you had to have bishops rise up against the this false teaching and uphold the teaching of the church and then eventually the church had to form an ecumenical council in order to formulate its truth of what it believes of what it has believed from the beginning and that's where you have these ecumen the first seven ecumenical councils of the church were basically dealing with heresies in the church it was trying to tear the church from asunder from within and these bishops were trying to keep the church united in its truth and formulate its doctrine it's really interesting because the creed that we profess on sundays the nicene creed actually came from ecumenical councils as a response to heresy so we we just we just recite this creed and it's like ah no big deal for us you know god from god light from light true god from true god consubstantial with the father and we're like ah what does that mean but that, that was huge in the early church it was you to come to that belief there was persecution there was persecution from within the church there was exiles there was these bishops that were exiled like saint john chrysostom saint athanasius where they were exiled like five times i forget how many times they were exiled a lot of times from their own people and from the emperor and so they they had to endure persecution they had to endure a lot of trial and suffering and in order to witness to the truth of the faith so what is it that we could say maybe about some of these truths of the faith that the church gives us so first of all we see jesus he's a little baby you know in bethlehem he's he's born but then we you know as people start speculating they say who is jesus who is jesus who, who is this person of jesus christ and we say well he's true god and he's true man but then we say you know people start speculating well you know well is is he really true god is he really true man is he maybe half god and half man 
See that? Or is his divinity so great that did it overcome his human nature? And maybe his human nature is just appearing to us as a ghost or like a form. Maybe he's not really human, but his divinity is so great that it takes over his humanity. Or maybe he's not really divine. Maybe he's like a superhuman person, but not of one substance with the Father. See, I'm giving you all the heresies here. I'm giving you a lot of the heresies. I'm just putting it in easy terms. I'm not putting it in all the Greek terms. And so people were, they, 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 were, they, were, they were saying this. They were saying maybe Jesus is not really human. Maybe he's not really divine. Maybe he appears as human. Maybe he didn't really die on the cross. Maybe he was just a, a phantom. You know, Jesus just appeared to have died on the cross. And these were the heresies that they were answering in the early church, St. Basil and St. Gregory. One of the, the first heresies was Gnosticism. Gnosticism, which basically was a denial of Jesus become flesh. That he, he really didn't become flesh. Another huge heresy that, that was for centuries, where, where almost all the bishops were a part of this heresy, was Arianism. It came from the bishop Arius, who basically taught that Jesus was not of one substance with the Father. What does that mean? If, if you think of it in and lay, you know, just easy terms. Jesus is a superman. He's superman. So he's doing all these miracles as a superman, but he's not divine. He's not doing these miracles because he's divine. It's because he's given superhuman powers by God the Father. See that? It sounds good, but it's wrong. It's not truth. It's not the truth that we believe. Now, Jesus does all those miracles and everything his divine power because he is divine and so the church started formulating first of all against Arius that Jesus is one substance with the father meaning he's divine he's fully divine he's fully a divine a divine person the second person in the holy trinity when he became a baby and became or assumed human nature. That's the term that they use. He assumed human nature. He did not lose his divinity. His divinity did not diminish when he became human. His divinity could not be touched. And yet, on the other hand, Jesus became fully human. His divinity did not overtake his humanity. So then the church had to formulate, because there were other heresies, such as Nestorianism and Monophysitism, that Jesus is about his nature. And in and, and answer to the heresies, they said, well, Jesus is fully divine, and he's fully human. He has a divine nature, and he has 
a human nature at the same time. So the divine nature remains distinct, and the human nature remains distinct. But it's in one person. He's not two persons. That's what they started saying. Well, maybe, maybe Jesus is two persons. You know, may, maybe he's like they, they, they teach um, was that multiple personality disorder. They call it DID right now, where you assume different personalities. Well, you know, maybe he's divine here in Scripture, and maybe he's human here. And so he switches his personality, or he switches his nature. No. No, he's same person, fully divine, and fully human. But then they had to deal with the person of Jesus. And that was the Council of Chalcedon. The church dealt with it. How, what can you say about his person? And they actually say, well, he's one divine person. With, with two natures. One divine person and two natures. So then, and the church, and this is century. I'm going over centuries for you. You know, this isn't just like, eh, church just formulate, you know, and one homily in like 10 minutes, 20 minutes. This was centuries that the church was dealing with this. So then they were dealing with some of the humanity of Jesus. Other heresies came up of, does Jesus have a human soul? Think about that. So if he's human, he has a human body, but does he have a soul also? Like we all have a body and we have a soul. And the church affirmed Jesus does have a soul also. So then they started speculating more. Sometimes speculation, it's good and it's bad. If you speculate too much, it can lead you into error. But if you don't speculate, then maybe you don't come to a truth. So then they want to know about the will of Jesus. Does he have just a human will, a divine will? And they say he both has a human will, because he's human, and he has a divine will. But the human will is always subject to the divine will. And then you'll hear this about the intellect of Jesus. Did Jesus have a human intellect? Well, yes, he was human, but he also has a divine intellect because he's divine. But the human intellect is always subject to the divine intellect. So you hear these the statements that, that I heard. Did Jesus know who he was? Of course he did. Of course he knew who he was. Of course he knew his mission. So then, then the church then formulated Okay, if Jesus has all, all these, does he have a heart? Does he have a, yes, because we honor it in the sacred heart. That Jesus also has a heart that can will, that can love with emotions and feelings as a human being would. And then finally, the very last or seventh ecumenical council and th and this one was a big one because this one went for hundreds of, of years it was called the iconoclast heresy what was iconoclast 
mean, meaning there were those in the church saying that you cannot image Jesus. You cannot have a statue of Jesus. You cannot have an image of Jesus. That's idolatry. And so the iconoclasts were smashing these statues and these images, really icons, beautiful icons of the East. And then you had, on the other hand, the iconodulists. Dulia means to venerate. It says, no, that we can have an image of Jesus and an icon and an image. We can have a statue of Jesus like we do here. We don't worship the statue, but we, we honor the person whom the statue represents, whom the icon represents. Why? Because Jesus is, became the image of the living God, the, or the icon of the living God, as it says in Colossians. And therefore, because he is the image, because he has become human, then we can image him with images. And a church upheld that in the Seventh Ecumenical Council against the iconoclasts, the iconodulists upheld, that we can have images of Jesus, and we can have images of the Virgin Mary and of the saints, because if we are Christians, then our image is restored, the image and likeness of Christ. And so we, we can honor Jesus and images. And so this is the teaching of the church. I'd like to read to you from the catechism, a summary of these teachings of the church, which is found in, hold on, it's found in section of part one, article three of the catechism of the Catholic church. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. So this is a summary of the church's teachings. And this is in 479. At the time appointed by God, the only Son of the Father, the eternal Word, that is the Word and substantial image of the Father, became incarnate. Without losing his divine nature, he has assumed human nature. And then it says, Jesus Christ is true God and true man, and the unity of his divine person. For this reason, he is the one and only mediator between God and men. And next paragraph, Jesus Christ possesses two natures, one divine and the other human, not confused, but united in the one person of God's Son. Next paragraph, Christ, being true God and true man, has a human intellect and will, perfectly attuned and subject to his divine intellect and divine will, which he has in common with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And finally, the last summary, the incarnation is therefore the mystery of the wonderful union of the divine and human natures, the one person of the word. So if you get very confused about all this, just say Jesus is fully God, he's fully human in every way, and one divine person. That's all you have to know. That's all you have to really formulate. I'm saying it's just e easy for you if you're not a theologian. If you're a theologian, you've got to go deeper. 
You have to go much deeper. And so when we see this child of Bethlehem, and we see it, you know, and icons and beautiful statues and all, all different ways of art that we portray in Jesus. I always love the, the, uh, the Gesù Bambino outside that we have. You know, the little one with his eyes glowing, and blue eyes glowing. And when we see him, even in art form, we have to recognize that, yes, he's a human being like me. So that's why it makes it easy for me to come to him. But at the same time, he's God. He's not like any other human being. He's God. He has divinity. And so I can come to him as I am and not be afraid of him. But also I can come to him with my problems, my issues, and my, you know, things I'm dealing with because he's divine. And with his divinity, he can heal us. He can restore us. He can make us like his own image and likeness. And that's where we practically come to Jesus, believe that he is human and believe that he is divine so that we won't be afraid of him, but also we can trust in him to receive the fullness of his grace, that grace upon grace has come down upon us. And his divinity has come down upon our humanity to restore us into the image and likeness of God again. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit divinemercyplus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's divinemercyplus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.